Another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. Every day, we call that world into being. Hey there, I'm Reverend Bob LaValle, and it's great here to be today. Be here today with our music director, Susan Peck, and our intern minister, Matt Partridge-Villarreal. And our worship leader today is the wonderful Michaela Renz Whitmore. And you know, Michaela is also the chair of our board of directors. She's deeply involved in many areas of the life of the church. And I wanted to say thank you for all that you do, Michaela. We so appreciate you. Our time for all ages today is by our director of religious education, Mia Noren. And our DJ today is Chris Paul. Our tech team is Christine Robinson and the dynamic duo of Alex and Erica Johnson Jimenez. Thank you for all that you do. And I have a special announcement to share. It makes me so happy to welcome our new Director of Operations, Charles England. Charles started this past week, and he's in the process of drinking from the fire hose of information as he gets oriented. Charles brings an incredible wealth of experience to First Unitarian. We are so fortunate to work with him. So if you see Charles, please say hello. And if you're visiting today, I invite you to put your name and location in the chat so we can say, hey, welcome you to our virtual Zoom service. And Michaela has a couple of announcements. Good morning. First Unitarian will hold its annual meeting on Sunday, January 30th at 2 p.m. on Zoom using the link for this Sunday worship. If you have questions about the budget or the strategic plan, you are encouraged to attend a town hall uh, the week before on Sunday, January 23rd, also at 2 p.m. using the same Zoom link. Also, please watch for information in the broadsheet about a special Zoom session to learn about the change for the future organizations that we'll be choosing for next year's recipients at the annual meeting. Finally, please welcome today's guest musician, Lowell Burton Jr. Lowell is a California native who knew at a young age that he loved singing, songwriting, and performing. With influences from R&B, soul, gospel, and jazz, he has refined a captivating sound all his own. Lowell fearlessly gives the world his perspective on love and life in his upcoming debut album, Villa Avenue. Let's light our chalices, shall we? We light our chalice today with the words of Reverend Rebecca Savage, who serves in our sister congregation in Rockville, Rockville, Maryland. We light our flaming chalice as a beloved people, united in love and thirsting for restorative justice. May it melt away the tethers that uphold whiteness in our midst. May it spark in us a spirit of humility. May it ignite in us radical love that transforms our energy into purposeful action. This is a chalice of audacious hope. This chalice shines a light on our shared past, signaling our intention to listen deeply, reflect wisely, and move boldly forward towards our highest ideals. 
Come, let us worship together. Yesterday, all my trouble seemed so far away. Such an easy game to play. Now I need a place to hide away. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Oh, I. I believe in, in yesterday. Oh, I, I believe in yesterday. And at this time, let's go ahead and pause the chat for a few moments during the meditation and prayer. I find solace this week in the words of Richard S. Gilbert. Let us instead be grateful that the world is still to be created. Let us give thanks that we can be more than we are. 
Let us celebrate the power of the incomplete, for life is always unfinished business. As we transition to this new year and as we encounter both with hope and uncertainty what 2022 has to bring for ourselves, our loved ones, and our community, let us rest for the time in the peace of this moment. Find a comfortable position for yourself if you haven't already and try to quiet your mind and your thoughts and focus on your breath. In this moment, allow yourself to feel a connection to the space that you are in and to the others that are here with you in this moment. If you need to remain in that space of connection, you may do so. But I also invite you to take any intentions that you have for this year and this future and feel them like a brilliant ball of light emanating from your center and let them radiate out into the universe and allow yourself to rest in the peace in this peace in a moment of shared sacred silence We come together as a community to share our lives. The troubles we share lighten our burdens. The joys we share multiply our gratitude. This sharing is an act of vulnerability, trust, and generosity that strengthens our bonds. 
please share first your joys, then your concerns as prompted by the video. If you can't share in the chat today, we still want to hear from you. Send an email to peering at uuabq.org. Al respirar, respiro paz. Al exhalar, exhalo amor. Respirar, respiro paz al exhalar, exhalo amor al respirar, respiro paz al exhalar, exhalo amor al respirar, respiro paz. Great and powerful force of life, you have brought us to this moment on the cusp of a new year and a new future. Although we may join you as a mix of emotions, we bring our whole selves to you as we venture together into the unknown. As we begin our first steps on the journey, we take a moment to celebrate with you all of the joys that we encounter in this life. 
Things like restful weekends, sun, health, time with family and friends, and music. We also celebrate with our siblings of faith at Congregation Beth Israel in Colleyville, Texas, as all of those taken in a hostage situation during their Shabbat services were released safely and unharmed. We also hold in light and love all of those for whom and for which we are concerned and that sit heavily upon our hearts. For all in our own community and those in our greater Albuquerque, our greater New Mexico, our greater US, and our greater world communities that are affected in one way or another with the effects of the Omicron variant, may everyone be kept safe and may everyone be kept healthy. For all of the people of the island nation of Tonga and others who are in the path of a tsunami after a recent volcanic eruption, may they be kept safe. We also remember those <clears throat> on the East Coast who are in the path of severe winter storms. May they be kept safe and warm. Closer to home, <clears throat> we remember Shirley Danny, who is recovering from a broken hip and beginning the process of rehabilitation. We also remember Sarah Manning, whose husband David passed away in hospice recently. All of these names and those whom we hold silently in our hearts, we lift up to the great powers of healing and renewal known by many names. May we go forward into this year surrounded by love, surrounded by safety, and may we know that with each step that we take, we are together along every step of the journey. May it ever continue to be so. Amen and blessed be. And peace be with you. Mother, mother, there's too many of you crying. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying. You know to find a way to bring some love in here today. Father, 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 there's no need to
Wake up everybody, no more sleeping in bed. No more backward thinking, time for thinking ahead. The world has changed so very much from what it used to be. There's so much hatred, war and poverty. reading today is by the theologian Reinhold Niebuhr. Nothing that is worth doing can be achieved in our lifetimes. Therefore, we must be saved by hope. Nothing which is true or beautiful or good 
makes complete sense in any immediate context of history. Therefore, we must be saved by faith. Nothing we do, however virtuous, can be accomplished alone. Therefore, we are saved by love. No virtuous act is quite as virtuous from the standpoint of our friend or foe as it is from our standpoint. Therefore, we must be saved by the final form of love, which is forgiveness. Back in October, I preached about the eighth principle. And for folks who haven't heard, the eighth principle is an idea, a proposal for a, a, an eighth principle that was created by Paula Cole Jones. Through her long work with congregations as a staff person at the Unitarian Universalist Association, Paula Cole, Cole Jones came to see that a person could possibly believe that they are a good UU and they are following the seven principles without thinking about or dealing with racism and other, impression, and other oppressions at the systemic level. So she proposes this new principle, and here's the language. We, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to affirm and promote journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle this racism and other oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. So that's the language of the eighth principle. And in that sermon I preached back in October, I offered a couple of different ways that this congregation might take up the work of adopting the eighth principle. There's different approaches. One way was to vote it into our bylaws at the annual meeting that's coming up in just a couple of weeks and then move forward after voting it in. Uh, in, in, in that approach, we commit to it formally and then follow up with that, follow that up with the actual work of dismantling oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. And the other approach I spoke about is waiting until we've done a significant amount of work as individuals and as a congregation and then taking the vote. Our elected board of directors is responsible for making this decision about when to take the vote. And then the congregation itself has the final say when, we, when the vote is held. So ultimately, this is a decision of the congregation. Well, the board of directors has made a decision about the vote. They're, they've decided to bring the eighth principle vote to the congregation in a year. So the congregation will vote on it in, at the annual meeting in January of 2023. 2023, wow, can you believe it? It seems far away, but it's not. That gives us just one year as a congregation to educate ourselves about the eighth principle and to continue the work of dismantling racism in ourselves and our institutions. You'll notice that I said continue the work, not begin the work. This congregation has already made really solid progress in anti-racism and anti-oppression. Sometimes that's looked like reflection and learning. For example, more than 100 folks took part in the white fragility groups. About 60 folks participated in the Beloved Conversations program in the past two years. The Coming to the Table conversations have been going on for a couple of years. And there are ongoing anti-racism book groups. And the Covenant groups have created anti-racism content for their meetings. And there are lots of action-oriented things that are going on as well. 
Our flagship service projects may not describe themselves as specifically anti-racist, but the food pantry and the after-school programs and the ESL programs all provide direct service to services that improve the lives of people of color. And our FaithWorks collaboration with seven other congregations provides services to the unhoused people and refugees, statuses that disproportionately impact people of color. That's just some of the ongoing work and I could spend a lot of time talking about other things, but what about what's gonna happen next year? What are we gonna do in this year? Well, first, the board will lead the way, way by doing their own work. During their for, first board retreat, that's gonna happen in just a few weeks, first weekend in February, they're bringing in Julica Herman de Fuente to conduct anti-racism training during the retreat. Julka is a national leader in helping UU congregations do anti-racism work. She was actually one of the original curriculum writers for the Beloved Conversations program. And she's going to spend time with the board, helping them to develop a common vocabulary around anti-racism and considering what we're called to do as a UU congregation and doing training in recognizing and interrupting microaggressions. The board will be reading three books. The Widening the Circle book, which we've spoken about here. Mistakes and Miracles, which is a book about five UU congregations that have tried to do anti-racism work within their churches. And a book about microaggressions called Subtle Acts of Exclusion. Yeah, the board is getting a lot of home homework, aren't they? <laughs> now, the board hasn't had an opportunity to set up structures for next year's work yet, but there are several ideas that have moved to the front. One is that the board may charge all of the church groups, every organization, committee, so on, effort within this church, and charge all of them to review their policies and procedures to assess whether those policies promote openness and inclusion or inadvertently promote oppression and exclusion. Similarly, Reverend Angela will be doing work explicitly examining the processes and policies of the church. And I forgot to mention, Reverend Angela is off this weekend, taking a very well-deserved break. Anyways, Angela is going to be examining all the, with, with other folks, will be examining the policies and procedures of the church with an eye to find the place, places where we are unwittingly engaging in impression. And she'll be talking about that more in a future sermon. Another idea that the board is thinking about is creating an eighth principle task force, or what we'd call a change team. A change team is a working committee whose overarching goal is to provide leadership and momentum to anti-racist organizational development. Now, this would be a small group of lay leaders and staff, and a minister most likely, who would develop a strategy for the work and then create clear attainable goals for doing that work. The board's going to appoint the change team and they'll be creating a process for that appointment process as well. I do expect that we'll convene a couple of town halls over the course of the year to educate about ourselves about the eighth principle, discuss how it works, dig in deep on that. And finally, I'm really delighted to share that the endowment committee has committed $20,000 to this work this year. That's going to really help us out. It's good to have a budget. But let's talk about how we need to do this work as a covenantal community. This work is hard, it's slow, it's messy, 
There's no map that tells us exactly what to do. We just have to stumble along, figuring it out. And as we do that, we have to remember that how we do this work is as, is as important as what we do. You know, the how might be more important because this work is about relationships. It's extremely relational. When we sacrifice our relationships because we think someone doesn't have the perfect analysis about anti-racism or we question their commitment to the work, then we fail because we're sacrificing relationships. This work must be an act of co-creation. The ministers and staff can't do it all alone. The board can't do it all alone. The congregation can't do it all alone. This messy, slow, uncertain work of becoming requires that we do this together. We either do it together or don't do it at all. And as we attend to anti-racism, I encourage us to ground ourselves in the local. Many of ourselves, myself included, are transplants from other places where the racial dynamics are different. Now, Buffalo, New York, where I'm from, and I've done a lot of anti-racism work there, is a very typical East Coast or Midwest city for its racial politics. The majority of the conversation is about blacks and whites with a small amount of attention placed on other people of color. And in these communities, like in Buffalo, the race line and the class line are closely aligned. If you're a person of color, you're more likely to be on the lower side of the class line. New Mexico is different and far more complex. I'm learning this every week as I spend more time in the state. For example, you know, the governor before our current governor was named Martinez. That does not happen in the East Coast. So I encourage us to do this work informed by the conditions and circumstances in New Mexico and in our city. And as we move into this next year of concentrated effort, let's keep an eye out for the possible points of resistance. For example, we're a large church, which means that we are not a monolith. We're not just one group of people with similar histories and similar perspectives. We are a community of communities, a community of communities. Think about our church, all the different people working in different ways together. That means that we have to attend to the differences between us in how we experience things. We experience things differently within our community of communities. And I wanna tell you a painful story about a time I got that wrong. So back in April of 2016, there was a campaign event for our last president that was being held out at the big arena in Buffalo, the place where the sports teams play. And I was a part of a group of white anti-racists, anti and actually was part of a group called Showing Up for Racial Justice, which has a chapter here in Albuquerque, which is excellent. Anyways, our group partnered with a group of Black folks to coordinate resistance to this event. And we decided to do two two different actions. First, the white activists would disrupt the rally inside the arena. And then second, the black activists would block the train cars leaving the arena after the campaign event. So we were thinking that the action inside the arena would be higher risk. Now you may remember at the time there were these videos of activists getting beaten at these rallies. And it was thought that white protesters would be less likely to provoke a violent response. 
Well, anyway, so we went into the event and we got there early. So we get have the perfect position, like right in front of the press box. And we waited around for three hours. And then the candidate who became president came out and we went into action, chanting, no Trump, no KKK, no racist USA. And making a lot of noise, disrupt, disrupting things, you know. And when the police came to take us out, we linked arms and sat down. And actually, uh, I was not one of the people who linked arms and sat down. We all had different jobs. And I was one, I was actually standing at the end of the line. And I was one of two folks whose job it was to intervene if the crowd started getting physical with our people. And that didn't happen. But the attendees of the rally were very angry with us. Anyways, the sheriffs and deputies came over to, to drag us out. And I'll, actually, I'll never forget this moment. So the guy sitting at the end of one end of our line was my friend Kirk, who was a, a United Church of Christ minister and a union organizer, phenomenal person. And Kirk is, is a large man. He's taller than me and probably 300 pounds. He's a former football player. So when the, the deputies came over to him to try and drag him out, they knew that they were in for trouble. Like this was a potential injury happening. So they stood over Kirk, wondering what to do with him. And Kirk looked up and said, I'll stand up on my own if you treat my friends right. I'll stand up on my own if you treat my friends right. Well, they agreed to that. He got up and uh, eventually our whole crew was dragged out, not particularly violently, although they were dragged. And then an hour later or so, after the when the rally was letting out, our black collaborators began their action of occupying the tracks. And by then I was able to go over there and join them. And the Buffalo police reacted hard. There were horses, batons, a lot of violence, a lot of shoving. And unlike the action in the arena, the press weren't watching. There were no witnesses. So the activists, activists were cleared away pretty quickly. You can imagine what it was like. Well, a few days later, all of us who were involved gathered for an evening of reflection and debriefing, and I was asked to prepare a ritual. And I thought about my experience at the rally. Uh, my friends and I had planned and worked and done something that was really scary, but that we were really proud of. I felt so much affection for the people I was around. We put our bodies on the line for what we believed in. I was, to be frank, elated by what we did. So when I planned our ritual, I brought flowers for everyone. And we stood in a circle, black and white activists together. And I asked the group, who fell in love that day? And a black man yelled out, not me, not me. And I realized in that moment that I had completely centered my own experience and given no thought to the experiences of others. And I learned over the course of that evening how much worse it had been for our Black colleagues. Some were carrying PTSD from the violence of the police. I had totally gotten it wrong. So when I say that we need to attend to the different ways that we experience things, we need to be open to the possibility that our own experiences may blind us to the experiences of others. We also have to have differences of opinion. I mean, we're going to have differences of opinion and differences of opinion about what the most important things are that we should do. Differences of opinions about what's the value of reflection and study versus the value of direct action. 
differences of, of opinion about how fast or slow we should go as a congregation. And the success of our efforts depends on how we handle those differences of opinion. Differences of opinion are a sign of a healthy system. Let's talk about our ideas. But it is not a healthy system when a difference of opinion is considered a lack of commitment to the end of dismantling white supremacy. Remember, being listened to is not the same as being agreed with. It's a challenge to us as a people. Being Unitarian Universalist isn't about finding the people you love. We don't go to a congregation to find the people we love. It's about loving the people that we find. Can we practice loving the people that we find? Earlier, I mentioned the book, Mistakes and Miracles. And like I mentioned, it looks at five congregations that were making an intentional push to be less, to be more anti-racist. To be honest, I sometimes found the book too circumspect because this is a small denomination and everybody knows everybody, certainly at the minister level. I heard from folks directly involved in those congregations about the way that well-intentioned anti-racists misbehaved and how that misbehavior set back the work of the congregation. The misbehavior that happened is it's just typical of anything that can happen in a church or really any, any other group. It's things like insisting that there's only one way to do this work or triangulating. And for folks who haven't heard the term triangulating, it's when two people are having a conflict and one of those people pulls a third party into the conflict for the purposes of ganging up on this other person. I mean, we're humans in a human institution, so these things happen. And the work of covenant, we are a covenantal faith, the work of covenant is to get through them and figure out how to stay in relationship. But I've noticed the pattern that when conflict happens in the context of anti-racism work, sometimes that work feels so urgent that people justify their misbehavior and even double down on it. Remember, this work is about relationships. We can't criticize each other into, be, into, being, into growing. We, can't, we have to accept that we won't always get our way. We have to accept that being listened to doesn't always mean that we are agreed with. Also, as we think about the obstacles that we might face in this work, let's consider the very real impacts of the pandemic on this work. We're not operating at 100%. I don't know who is. And in this moment, it's harder to be optimistic. And it's optimism that makes it easier to stay in the work. And let's be really real. Everyone is a lot more prone to being irritating irritated <laughs> and irritating. <laughs> Our frustration is closer to the surface and we are just not as patient. That's gonna slow us down in our work. It's not a reason to ignore the work, but we need to temper our expectations about how fast and how far we're gonna go when we're also carrying nonstop trauma from this deeply disturbing time. And there may be folks who are hearing this sermon and groaning a little to themselves. A whole year on racism, really? Well, racism is only one of the urgent problems that we're facing as a community right now. But a hard look at racism, how it works, what it does, will teach us things that will make us more resilient for all the coming challenges. Anti-racism work is a spiritual practice 
that applies to all areas of our lives. So I invite us, all of us, to dig in in the coming year, to be open to being surprised, to stay in relationship even when we're irritated and tired. I invite us to love the people that we find. I want to close with a prayer from the late Reverend Dr. Orlando Brunola. As we move through life, finding ourselves always wise and newly foolish, we ask that our mistakes be small and not hurtful. We ask that we gain experience. We do not forget our innocence, for they are both part of the whole. May it be so. Sorry, I'm overcome. Okay, so <laughs> this church, as we just heard, is a community of ourselves. Its energy and resources are our energy and resources. We continually share its wealth. As we contribute to the strength of this community, we affirm our lives within it. You can make an offering by clicking on the link that we'll put in the chat box. If you prefer not to give online, you can simply mail a check to the church. Be sure to write change for the future on the memo line if that's where you'd like your offering to go. Our change for the future recipient this month is Encuentro. Somebody's calling my name. 
what is given in generosity is received in gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque and our Change for the Future recipient, Encuentro. As we are coming to the end of our service, if you would like to join us for our virtual coffee hour and stay and chat with some of your fellow sibling, sibling congregants, and we would love it if you would, please stay on after the end credits and you will be placed into one of our breakout rooms. To get the discussion started, here is a question to consider. How are some of the ways that we can disagree respectfully while still working together to achieve the work of growth as a congregation? How are some of the ways that we can disagree respectfully while still working together to achieve the work of growth as a congregation? And before we extinguish our chalice, I invite you to go ahead and navigate your screens to gallery view. Look at all of the wonderful smiling faces back at you. And let us uh, participate in our Pacham greeting. This is a tradition here at First U. Go ahead and place one hand over your heart and then extend the other hand out at the gallery, making eye contact with people as is comfortable. Let's extinguish our chalices. May we love the people that we find. Go in peace and practice radical love. <laughs>